Well, welcome to week two of our series, The Dirty Dozen. Yes, my name is Rylan Russell, and I am the worship and media arts pastor here at CBC. So I'm excited to get to preach. And before I get going, can we just give it up for this amazing team that we have here at Central? We are so blessed, you guys. You don't even realize, I think. And I'm just so thankful for all of them and the girls stepping in leading worship today. And just, man, it was a joy just to get to be able to be on the front row and just to participate in worship and not have to worry about what I was doing. So, (laughs) well, typically my sermons are about two to three sentences long and they're sandwiched between a couple of songs. So we should be done pretty quickly this morning. (laughs) And if I randomly go and pick up my guitar, it's just because I don't know what to do with my hands. So... (laughs) Uh, If you are the note-taking type of person or you just want to boost my self-esteem, you can take your phone and scan that QR code that's on the screen with your camera, and that will take you to our digital sermon notes. If you're more of a leather-bound only type of person, that's great as well. Take out your Bible, and you can flip over to John chapter 1 as we go into our second week of our series, The Dirty Dozen, and we talk about the disciple Andrew. Well, Growing up in Chickasha, Oklahoma, I was affectionately referred to many, many times as Jillian's little brother. (laughs) You see, I'm one of four siblings, and um, my older sister, Jillian, let's just say that she cast like a pretty long shadow, and she was just good at everything that she ever did. Super talented, way more talented than me, better looking than me, more popular than me. And I'm not going to get into all of her accolades or anything, because if she watches this, I don't want her head to get any bigger than it already is. But let's just say it was kind of hard to outdo her. And if you can kind of relate to that sentiment, then you already have something in common with Andrew, the disciple. You see, Andrew was the brother of the disciple that we talked about last week, Simon Peter. You know, Peter, the rock upon which Christ would build his church, that Peter, that was his brother. And so, yeah, he had a lot to live up to. And we really don't know, like, too much about Andrew. He's only mentioned, I think, 13 times in the New Testament. But he is a solid second choice for the Dirty Dozen because his name, Andrew, it actually translates as manliness. There we go, right? That's pretty good. And he was also a fisherman from Bethsaida, and he was a disciple of John the Baptist, and he's often referred to as the first apostle. Now, there's really only three times that Andrew really gets much cred in the scriptures. Two of those we're not going to really cover today. Uh, One was the feeding of the 5,000 in one of the gospels that talks about how Andrew actually was the one that found the little boy that had the fish and the loaves, and he brought him to Jesus. He's like, I got this kid. He's got some food. Like, what can you do with it, Jesus? And then another time, uh, later on, some Greeks were coming up. They came up to Stephen, and they're like, hey, Stephen, uh, we want to talk to Jesus. And then Stephen was like, hey, uh, Andrew, these Greeks, they want to talk to Jesus. And then Andrew was like, hey, Jesus, uh, these Greeks want to talk to you. <laughs> like, that was pretty much it. Some people will, like, take that, and this is a deep theological meaning in that story. It could be, no, I couldn't find it, but... Uh, <laughs> The, the one we're going to focus on today, though, man, it's, it's, it's a super important and awesome example that Andrew sets for us. So uh, in John chapter 1, we're going to cover some scriptures, and here's the point of today's sermon. 
Andrew, he gives us a simple three-step process to change the world. A simple three-step process to change the world. And I know what you're thinking. whoopity do. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to pay my bills, avoid the drama, make it through the week. If I wake up in the morning, I call that a good day, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Gabe. But, you know, at the end of the day, that is why the American church is dying. Because we have no desire to make a real impact for Christ. We're comfortable Christians. But I believe that God has called us to more. So if you're ready to take that call seriously, let's dive into the scripture. Let's look at John chapter one, verses 35 through 42. It says this, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. All right, so as pastors like to say, let's unpack this a little bit this morning, you know? I gotta get my pastorisms on. All right, so step one of this simple three-step process is this. To change the world, we have to look for Jesus. Say that, look for Jesus. All right, do what you do with your kids. Lock that in your memory, okay? You've got it now. Step one, look for Jesus. Verse 35 says this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And if he had heard anything that John the Baptist was saying, he knew that it was not about John the Baptist, right? John's message was, I am preparing the way for this coming Messiah. It's not about me, so be on the lookout. And that's what Andrew was doing. He, he was hearing this message, and whenever he said, there's Jesus, he was like, oh, antennas go up. Uh, do we have any, like, hunters in the room? Any, any deer hunters, quail hunters, turkey hunters? There's no hunters in this at Central Baptist. There we go. All right, thank you, thank you. Snipe hunters, any snipe hunters out there? Yeah, all right. Well, I, uh, I actually grew up a duck hunter, um, but my mom, she took away my gun whenever I was scratching up the front of the TV screen too much. Hey, come on now. That was a good one. <laughs> no, I do not consider myself to be a hunter at all. But uh, a few years ago, my father-in-law asked me to go hunting. And when your father-in-law asks you to go hunting, you go hunting. So... <laughs> Uh, like all good deer hunters do, we woke up at 4.30 in the morning, we covered ourselves in some type of urine, and we <laughs> tiptoed through the forest to find the perfect hunting spot in 20-degree weather. <laughs> so we're out here in the middle of the woods. My father-in-law, he walks me up on this ridge, and he, he kind of shows me, okay, the, the deer are going to be coming up over the creek over there on the southeast side, and then they're going to go behind this brush pile. He had it all mapped out, you know. And then there's going to be this clearing, and that'll be the perfect shot at, at, a, at a deer. So, you know, just be watching. 
And so he left me there. I leaned up against a tree and he went off to some other hunting spot, which was probably a lot better than the spot he left me at. And it was cold, guys. Like, I'm not talking just kind of cold. I'm talking like frozen snot sickles cold. (laughs) And it'd been about an hour and I just started thinking to myself, okay, I haven't seen anything. I'm just going to put my hoodie on and kind of like hunker down inside of my, my coveralls here just to get warm for a minute, just to get some relief from the elements for a moment. There's another sermon in that somewhere, I think. But so I did that, and it felt great. And I, I'm telling you, it hadn't been more than one minute. I poked my head back out, and in front of me is standing a 16-point buck. I'm just kidding. It was like a two-point buck, but... <laughs> But in my heart, oh man, it got me racing. And I was like, ooh, here it is. Here's my moment. So I grabbed my gun, you know, I'm taking the safety off. I'm trying to get it all scoped in. And then I realized that it had already passed the clearing where I had an open shot. And it was over off to the side. And I thought, okay, I'll just go ahead and try and take a shot at it. I tried to get into my sights. And I think the gun wasn't like sighted in correctly or something. It was my father-in-law's gun, but I missed. And, you know, off Bambi went. And... I took my shot, but I had missed my real opportunity because I wasn't looking, right? I had missed it. So here's the question I want to ask you today. How often do we miss Jesus because we weren't looking for Jesus? How often do we miss him just because we're not looking for him? And I understand we live in a world where it's like this Where's Waldo game to find Jesus. Except he's not wearing a red and white striped shirt and a beanie, he's clothed in absolute truth. And the world is obstructing him. And it's not always bad things that that kind of cloud the picture. It's just that our page, if you picture that Where's Waldo picture, it's so full of stuff. Our schedules have become so full that we don't have time or Maybe we don't make time to look for Jesus. But I believe if we want to change the world, if we want to truly make a difference, we have to take that first step. We have to look for Jesus. All right, so step two of this simple process to change the world is this. Prioritize the pursuit of Jesus. Say, prioritize the pursuit. All right, lock it in that brain. Verse 37, it says, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Andrew pursued Jesus. He didn't pass up this opportunity. John said, that's the Messiah. And he was like, I'm going to go check him out, you know? And in my mind, this is like that scene from Forrest Gump. You know, Forrest Gump, that movie... He, he did all kinds of crazy things, right? And the setting is he's on this park bench waiting on a bus, and he just, he'll just tell anybody that sits down a story of his life. And one of them, he decided to just start running. And he ended up running across the country, I think, like four times. He was never bathing, I think. His beard was huge. And it kind of became this national sensation. And people were coming up to him, why are you running, Forrest? And, you know, wanting to know what is his purpose behind this. And soon he had these these followers that were kind of just like running behind him in the distance, just, just running after him. And one day he turns around and they're like, he's going to speak, you know, like he's the prophet or something. And he says, I'm tired. I think I'll go home. (laughs) And as he's recanting this story to this 
lady on the bench, he says, some people said that I gave them hope. And I think that's what Andrew was looking for, real hope. And I think that's what we're all looking for, right? Is hope in the middle of this crazy life. And I love the question that Jesus asked them. It's just like super blunt. He's like, what do you want? <laughs> and if you notice the answer they give, it's actually not an answer. It's, it's kind of telling though. They ask him a question and they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? They weren't asking for healing. They weren't asking for their deepest theological questions to be answered. They just wanted to spend time with Jesus. They wanted to know, where are you staying? Like, let's go get a cup of coffee because we've heard a lot about you. I mean, John literally was just telling him this crazy story of how I know this guy was the one. I baptized him and this dove descended from heaven and he is the Messiah. And they found him. So if we want to make an impact for Jesus, we have to do that second step. We have to prioritize our pursuit of Jesus. Step number three of the simple process to change the world is introduce people to Jesus. Say, introduce people. people. There you go. Verse 41, it says, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. The very first thing that he did was he went and found his bro with, with excitement and joy. And he's like, we have, you have to come see, like we found the Messiah. And because of that introduction, Simon became Peter the rock, the one who walked on water, the one who saw 3,000 saved at Pentecost. A pillar of our faith, right? Andrew's act of introducing his brother to Jesus, it literally changed history. Think about it like this. Your greatest impacts won't leave your imprint. Your greatest impacts won't leave your imprint. Back in my baseball playing days, which is getting further and further away, (laughs) man, it was the best feeling in the world when you would hit the sweet spot of the bat. And it's this odd sensation that if you've never experienced it, you know, it's hard to describe, but you know when you've hit the ball with the greatest impact when you can't even feel it, <laughs> when you hit that sweet spot on the bat. I remember my, my first home run, I hit it. I didn't know, I knew I hit it well because I didn't feel the ball. I didn't know where it went and I was getting to first base and I look up at the umps going, I was like, you're kidding me, I hit a home run. Let's go, baby. So broke out the trot. Uh, but yeah, you don't even feel it when you hit it. And I think that can be true of our Christian lives sometimes, that, that we won't even feel it in the moment when we're making our greatest impacts, that our imprint won't be left, but it's a great impact for Christ. Mark Batterson says it this way. If you wanna make a big difference, it's not by doing big things. It's by doing little things like they're big things. It's the closet prayers. It's the encouraging text. It's the invitation offered to a friend. It's the testimony shared with your grandchildren. It's the little things done faithfully over and over and over. And Andrew, he probably didn't realize the impact he was making, 
You know, he didn't know the influence that he was having. But Andrew is the perfect example of the ripple effect. You know, the ripple effect where one drop of water can start a tidal wave. And he literally was the first drop of water that started the ripples of Christianity across the world. All because he was looking for Jesus and he pursued him and then he introduced somebody to Jesus. I heard this quote and it's really stuck with me. It's this, it says, real success is in the, in the succession. Real success is in the succession. Does that make sense? It's not about making our name known. Man, we are so consumed in America with making us great, building our kingdoms, building our 401ks, our investment portfolios, our churches even. But all of that stuff is like building sandcastles on the beach, right? Because soon the tide's going to come in and it'll all be quickly forgotten. What legacy are you leaving? And better yet, if people didn't even know about you, but they saw the succession, man, that's where the impact is at. So you may not be able to feel it when it's happening, but God is using you. All because we step out of our comfort zones, right? We introduce someone to Jesus. So I want you to think about this. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a result of a chain reaction of faith. If I trace back my history of salvation, there would be generation after generation after generation that faithfully shared Christ. And you have someone to thank for that as well. And you can be part of that domino effect in somebody else's life. And I think as we wrap up here today, that there's really three types of people in this room. And I'd love to like let you slide out of it and say, no, no, I'm kind of in one of those other groups. But I think it boils down to these three groups. And it's the contagious, the comfortable, and the curious. Okay, the contagious, it's the smallest group of us, right? It's, it's the ones who you just can't help but, but share your faith. You can't help but tell somebody about what Christ has done in your life. You're contagious. And then the largest group of us probably is the comfortable. Those of us who've been content in all the wrong things. The ones who are kind of content just to do church, keep things the way they've always been. In fact, it, it might scare us a little bit if things changed because I mean, after all, we joined the church when it was this size and it was this way and we liked it. Why would we want it to grow and change and be molded into something different? That scares us. We're comfortable. But comfort is the enemy of progress. I know that's true in my life. Comfort is the enemy. Now, Jesus is our comfort. He is the great comforter, but we have become comfortable in all the wrong areas. And if we want to progress, if we want to get the message of Christ out to a lost and dying world, we're gonna have to become uncomfortable. 
And we're going to have to start looking for Jesus to prioritize the pursuit of Jesus in our lives. He doesn't get a slice of the pie. He is the middle and everything branches out from Christ in our life. He's the center of it all. He's not part of our lives. We need to prioritize the pursuit of Jesus. And when is the last time that you told anyone about your faith? When is the last time that you sat a friend down and said, I love you and I wanna share with you why I love you? Because Christ loves me. Let's get out of our comfort zones this morning. And I think the third group, I hope there's some of you in here and that's the curious. You know, you've heard a lot about Jesus and you kind of just been curiously checking him out wondering if this hope that he offers to us is real. Well, today, I think that he has turned around in the road, just like he did when Andrew was following him. And he's asking you a question. He's saying, what do you want? And I hope that your answer would be, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to have it all. So, if we want to change the world, it's time to look for, to pursue, to introduce people to Jesus like never before. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I pray that you would right now reveal in each of our hearts where we fall. Are we on fire for you? Are we contagious? Are we comfortable? Are we curious? And I pray that today we would leave here changed if we need to be. Father, thank you for the example of Andrew and how you used him to make this amazing impact all because he introduced his brother to Jesus. Church, right now, before we conclude, we're gonna do a simple response and no one is exempt from this. If you are contagious, you're a number one. If you're comfortable, you're number two. And if you are curious, you're number three. And in just a moment, I'm gonna ask all of us to raise a hand in the air with whatever number you are. And all that I wanna do is pray over you. And that is a simple response to God outwardly. Sometimes I think we just need to put what's going on on the inside, connect it with what's going on on the outside so we can physically respond to Christ. So right now, would you just lift your hands, church, and say, I'm, I'm one, I'm contagious, I'm two, I'm comfortable, or I'm three, I'm curious this morning. All right, you can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, thank you that no matter what stage we are in, that you chase after us, that you pursue us as well, and that you're not finished with us. So Father, I look forward to the, the ripples that is gonna come out of the work of Central Baptist in the lives of our families, our friends, our city, our nation, and God, even across the world in ways that we can't even ask or imagine, God. So we say we love you this morning, and I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.